Hey, before we get started, we just want to let you know that this episode is brought to you by Church Sound Made Simple. Mixing sound seems complicated, but it doesn't have to be. Cut the overwhelm by getting access to the stress-free, no-fluff training that will help you create great sound at church. Visit churchsoundmadesimple.com. Welcome to the Collaborate Worship Podcast, where we help you create great sound at church. I'm your host, Cade Young, and today I'm here with Chad Kirkpatrick. How are you doing, man? Hey, doing good, man. How are you? Awesome. Doing really good. Uh, Chad and I are going to be talking about how to get your live stream mix sounding good for those who are listening to it on a phone. But before we get into that, Chad, go ahead and introduce yourself for those who don't know you yet. Hey, I'm Chad from Ascension Worship. Um, You might have seen me on Tech Tuesday, which is a video series that's uh, free on YouTube. Uh, You can find that at ascensiontechtuesday.com. But Ascension Worship is is basically a... um, ministry that helps other ministries. So apart from free training videos, um, we have a network where we help um, pair up musicians with churches uh, as they need help. And we also have a really cool project called the Ascension Collective, um, which is coming out with a new album in the next few weeks. So uh, keep your eye out for that. So I guess we'll be able to find that on iTunes and Spotify and all that. Yep. Yep. iTunes, Spotify, and Facebook are kind of the the big three for us. So keep your eye out for it. Well, man, in every podcast interview, we always take a moment to bring a failure out into the open so we can laugh together and learn something along the way. Because the truth is, we all make mistakes and they seem really heavy uh, until you realize that other people are making mistakes too. So go ahead and fess up, man. Tell us an embarrassing story. Okay. So I guess you could say it's funny, like not funny, haha, but like, like funny. Okay. Now, but at the time it seemed really serious. Um, but uh, so let me set the scene for you. So I, I lived in Australia for three years. Um, I went to uh, Hillsong College, which is an awesome college. If anyone's looking for a, a college to go to, I highly suggest that. Um, and I got some really cool opportunities. So I was helping to mix the 4.30 p.m. service uh, on Sundays. Just to set the scene for you, this is the in the chapel building, which is one of the only Hillsong venues that still has live stage monitors. Okay. So... Um, the way it works there is there's a front of house uh, comms person who stands next to you and they're listening to the music director and then the creative director who's standing down front. And um, they tell you, based off of what the creative director says, what microphones are about to come up on stage when the pastor comes up to talk. Um, and, and not any particular pastor, just whoever's, you know, talking that day. And, um, and so the, the pastor for the giving moments going up and the, the the comms girl goes three, but the way she held her hand, it kind of looked like four. Like she kind of loosely held back her pinky and I turned to her and I go four, but I guess I kind of loosely held my pinky too. And she goes, yeah, cause it's loud in the room. Like we're ending worship. And so it's three, I'm thinking it's four and there, all these microphones are sitting on the pew facing the PA um, <laughs> because of the way this room's set up. So I'm seeing metering on all of them. The pastor's kind of holding the mic kind of like halfway down his chest and like barely talking into it anyway. So I keep pushing up four trying to get the level through. And sure enough, just feedback for like, it felt like forever, but it, it had to have only been like two or three seconds. Um, but it was bad enough to where the pastor actually said, well, that ruined the moment. <laughs> and, and he was right. Like, I can't blame him for that. Like, it, it probably would have been better if he hadn't said that from stage. I'm not going to say which pastor it was. Um, but again, I don't blame him. It was our fault. But 
looking back on it now, it was a really good learning experience. And I just want to encourage anyone who ever has a fail like this. Um, it's really easy to like have like this demoralizing moment where like you're even been embarrassed in front of a room of people and think, well, I'm not accepting next week's plan after this. I'm, I'm taking a break, but luckily I had people that supported me and kept me going. Um, and we learned very practically the rule was after that, I talked to the comms girl and then any comms person I ever worked with after that, I said, whenever we do hand motions, we hold our hand flat over the board because there's something about the way your wrist makes your, your hand looks more natural that way. And then I will respond back the same way. And then we'll, we'll go from there. And we never had that problem again. So, um, so again, it's funny now, but it was, man, it was miserable when it happened. Um, but you got to learn from those things. It's the only way you're going to get better. Yeah. I think that's like the number one fear for sound techs everywhere, especially those who are new to the game is feedback. Mm. You know, everybody's just afraid of how, how do I keep things from feeding back? Yeah. That's a good point too. I mean, there's a lot of subjective sound stuff out there in the world, but like there's a few objective things that if you get them wrong, everyone knows they're wrong. Feedback is one of them. Missing a mic call is another. Um, so yeah, it's, it's definitely a fear and good communication is one way to combat that. <laughs> yeah. And I know this isn't really the topic of today's podcast, but for those who are struggling with feedback in your church, I have a video out there that's uh mm teaches you how to EQ your room, which is one of the key things that you need to do to prevent feedback from happening. So I'll post a link to that in the show notes. And I'm sure Chad has some resources that we can put in the show notes too about feedback. All right, well, let's talk about getting the live stream mix sounding good through a phone speakers. It seems impossible <laughs> to me, uh, but uh, what percentage of online churchgoers do you think are actually watching on their phone, if you had to guess? Man, okay, so... I don't know the answer to that when it comes to people who are exclusively listening, but I would say that the number is probably right around 100% of people that will eventually see your stream online because of the way Facebook puts it out there for us. Um, every week, <laughs> there's this one church in particular in Jacksonville that does three services, and I get a notification for every single service when it comes up and uh and i'll if i'm scrolling through my feed and if anyone has shared it it will autoplay so um the odds are very very high that someone is going to hear your live stream mix at some point whether or not they sit on it for a long time or not maybe maybe not but it's definitely out there it's definitely available yeah that's a good point they may not be watching on their phone live but eventually they will see one of your streams on their phone live via the 100%. replay or whatever yeah yep so what's the main issue that comes up with those who are watching on their phone regarding sound? Well, man, the, I could go all day on this, but as far as like a main issue, um, one of the most practical things that people will initially say is, um, especially if, if you're brand new to streaming is, okay, well, the drums sound really quiet and wimpy, but the vocals are super loud. Why is this? And, um, there's actually a really practical reason for it. If you're just sending a copy of what your board is producing uh, over the live stream, you have to think if your drums are not isolated, uh, you're actually not pushing that much drum kit through your PA. You're, you're reinforcing it, but you're really bringing up the quieter things like the vocals to match the things that are physically loud in the room. Um, so there is a way to create what's called a post fade mix, 
where you can take your mix. So this is really great if you're a smaller church and maybe you only have one engineer who's trying to mix front of house and that same mix is going out online. Um, we don't all have enough qualified sound techs to have a dedicated engineer for the online mix. So you can take your mix, but you can augment it so that what you're hearing in the room has a little bit more or a little bit less of certain things to go out over the stream. So for example, if you set the post-fade mix to where everything's at unity, meaning it's not adding or subtracting from your mix, but then you boost certain things like maybe the drums or especially speaking microphones, like your pastor's microphone and anyone who's got does announcements, that kind of thing. It will sound louder online for those things than it does in your room. And it'll help make up for some of the, the physical things that happen when we listen to a live worship service, like in the room versus when we listen to it on an iPhone. Um, so again, really practically, our ears do this kind of natural compression thing. So when we're in the room and we're singing, we're, we're congregational worship together. Um, the volume, it makes sense that the singing has to be loud enough so that you can hear it over yourself. And so it's pretty loud in the room. That's why worship is loud. Um, but then when it's time to listen to the pastor speak, it's no longer a congregational thing. Now we are listening to teaching for the day. And so our ears will naturally decompress and we don't notice that worship was here and pastor is here. Um, but when you're listening to it on the live stream, if you're, if you're sitting in Starbucks watching your live stream, you're not singing, hopefully full volume, you know, uh, to the, to the worship and then listening to the pastor, you're, you're observing the whole thing. So when the room where it doesn't feel like a huge difference between worship and pastor online, it feels like a massive difference. So by doing this post fade mixing, you can take your pastor's microphone, boost it artificially, and it will sound more in line, more like a broadcast mix uh, for the online audience. And the great thing is it means like basically no work for the sound guy. You're still mixing the room just like you normally would from week to week. You just kind of listen to your live stream and say, okay, I know the bass sounds good in our room, but it sounds a little bit weak online. I'm just going to nudge it up a little bit. And then it's going to follow your fader moves that you're doing live, but it's going to augment them for online and make them sound better. Speaking of like the bass guitar, like obviously your phone doesn't have like a sub in it or anything like that. So yeah. are you ever really going to hear it that well on your phone? So one really important thing, uh, and I, I've been thinking about this for like really any in this instrument is you have to understand that every instrument has different um, qualities to it. So you've got your, your warmth and then you've got your clarity. If you had to just use two adjectives to describe something. Um, so, an acoustic guitar, for example, you know, you got your warmth of the body of the acoustic around like 200 Hertz. Um, and then you've got, you know, the clarity of the strings being strummed that people can hear when you're working on an iPhone, obviously people aren't going to hear the low end energy. So that just means that you might need to focus more on getting good high end energy from those things. So uh kick drum, for example, uh, you know, they're not going to hear the sub energy from it, but they're going to hear the click of the kick drum. And sometimes people's brains will kind of fill in the rest when they hear that. Um, so by either accenting around 3K or at least maybe not pulling back as much of it as you might. I know some guys who like their, their kick drum to sound like a reggae band where it's all thump. 
that's not going to translate well online. You have to think more like a rock drum kit in some ways and get that clarity of the high end to still be in there. So there's something that the audience can still hear. doesn't need to sound like death metal. Um, <laughs> you don't want all click, but you want enough in there to where your brain kind of fills in the rest. Um, another practical example of that again, with bass guitar, like you said, um, I very, very rarely, um, boost anything in my mids. I'm, I'm more of a cut guy, especially in the mids. Bass is one of the examples where, uh, I break that rule. Usually somewhere around 1K, find where all the finger noise is coming from the bass. And and being able to boost that up, you know, where you need. And, and when you sound check it, even if you don't think you need it, go ahead and find it. So that when the whole mix is going and now you're like, okay, I'm having a hard time hearing the bass on the iPhone. But you can grab that mid and just give it a little boost and see how it feels. Um, that helps a lot. Another thing that really helps a lot if you have it available is some form of saturation. Um, so, uh, you know, one thing I do on a, on like a doll rig, if I have the availability is I will double patch the bass guitar and I'll put a sans amp on both channels. One of them's just kind of a little bit of grit, um, just so it kind of cuts through the mix on its own. And the other one is usually a sand stamp with like a fuzz pedal or something. And I'll blend that in just enough to where you start to hear that online. And, um, and if you listen to the bass by itself, it might sound like it's way too much, but in the online mix, all of a sudden you can hear the bass coming through really well. Bethel's a great example of this. If you ever solo in on what their bass guitars do, there's a shocking amount of fuzz happening on a lot of their basses. You can't tell in the whole mix, but you can hear them very clearly. Uh, the other important thing that I've learned from guys like Bethel is, and I'm a bass player, so this hurts me to say this, but um, using a pick a lot of times will help um, because just the nature of the pluck versus using your fingers to play. Um, now, it depends on the song, um, but that brings out those mids again that are going to be really easy to hear. Um, so like a song like... Um, Lion and the Lamb is a good example where like the rhythm brings itself to using a pick. And then that's why that cuts through so well on that mix. So yeah, being able to focus on your mids and, and your, your upper mids and saturation are two ways to really help bring out those low end instruments artificially on an iPhone. Now let's go back to the kick drum. Cause you mentioned like the click and getting that to come through and I can just mm. almost hear somebody asking like, what does he mean by that? So can you kind of explain that a little more and then maybe even walk them through how you would boost that area of the kick drum? You know, you've got, um, you know, think about what a kick drum is. It's a, a mallet that is striking a drum. And um, so that is what we would call a, a transient hit. Same thing with a snare drum being smacked with a stick. It's this immediate boost in sound um, that then kind of levels off and then goes down. Um, so again, if you think about every instrument, oops, sorry, hit my mic there. If you think about every instrument as being, you know, your fundamental, your, your bottom end energy, and then your top energy, um, you want to just kind of go around and find where all of a sudden you hear that clicky sound, that kick drum sound that's happening. And then depending on what your mic is, either boosting that up or, you know, sometimes pulling that back, but maybe not as much as you would in a live room, um, will help to create this extra sound that you're hearing on top, um, that cuts through a mix and it's going to be able to be heard on an iPhone without any problems. 
which I would say, I think that's somewhere between what, like 5K and 8K is where you're going to find that click area. Uh, it depends. I, I find it usually around starting around 3K is usually yeah. where it starts for me. Yeah. Awesome. All right. So other than, you know, bringing up those instruments that seem to be missing in the live stream, you know, drums are a main concern. And like you talked about the speaking mics, which speaking of that, I was going to mention uh, that may be one thing to consider doing pre-fader because that's how I do it at our church. Um, because I was always having a problem with the speaker mic or the pastor's mic not being loud enough. So like mm. everything else is set to post fader, but that one is pre fader. So it's always the same level in the live stream mix and you can boost it quite a bit more. Have you ever tried that? The only problem with that is if you again are one person doing this whole mix, uh, I, uh, I hate using mutes. Um, because especially with a pastor's microphone, it's a, usually going to be a headset that's omnidirectional. And let's say they come up while a band is finishing out. If it's pre-fade and you unmute it, all of a sudden you're going to get this wash of ambient noise that's going to come in. That ambient noise is going to come in no matter what. But it tricks the audience into thinking it's not as bad if you fade in instead. So another alternative to that that works really well, especially if you let's say your pastor has a lavalier mic and you're having to do crazy EQ to it to sound good um, in the room and that EQ is not translating well online. One thing I'll do sometimes is I'll take two channels and I'll put the pastor's mic on both of them. Um, and one of them is EQ'd for the room with all that crazy EQ. The other one is more flat and EQ'd for online. And maybe I'm adding some makeup gain in the compressor. And what I'll do is that one um, well, so the first one is only for the room is not going over the live stream. The second one is only for the live stream and it's being removed from the, the main room mix. I'll assign both of those to the same DCA. And so what ends up happening is when the pastor walks on stage, I'll fade up that DCA. And so you're avoiding that wash of ambience. It'll sound good in the room because you're hearing that one mic that's set for that. And then the other mic will sound good online and it's artificially boosted. So you get, and, and maybe even heavily compressed to give you more of that broadcast sound um, that would cause feedback if you try to do that in your live room channel, but it will sound great if you do that for your broadcast channel. Nice. All right. So back to the live stream mix on a phone. How do we make sure that these modifications that we're making to help the phone users don't ruin it for everybody else? Uh, you know, it, one thing that I've been working on lately that um, is pretty cool is, uh, you know, obviously if you have time to check these things on both devices, like rule number one, like uh, when it comes to studio work is you should mix everything on multiple sets of speakers. Um, the idea that you're mixing on a pair of nice studio monitors, even if they're not that nice, um, it's kind of silly when you think about it because maybe half of 1% of your audience is going to happen to have those same speakers. And then maybe a more generous number would be like maybe half the audience, probably more like 25% is even listening to them on a nice pair of speakers at all, or like in their car, a lot of people listening to them on their phone. Um, so listening to it on multiple sets of monitors and making sure that your EQ changes sound good on both is incredibly important. Um, one thing I used to do was I had a, an X32 that I was mixing and I had studio monitors in there, but I took the USB out and plugged it into my laptop 
and I opened Logic, and I had just the two channel out going into channel on Logic, and I would listen to it through my laptop speakers. And um, so I could kill that, listen to it on the laptop, and then go back and forth. And one thing that I found that was kind of interesting was there are certain frequencies, and they, they tend to be, from my recent experience, around 200 to 250 hertz that you can kind of take or leave in a big speaker. But if you have too much of them on a laptop, like a MacBook Pro speaker, it starts to sound like a fart. <laughs> and um, and so what I would do is I would, uh, you know, I just try to make this really punchy snare. And I was inadvertently boosting, like, I think it was like 225 hertz. And so I would take a, a parametric EQ and I'd sweep it around. And all of a sudden I'd find where it sounded really farty. I'd pull that out. The laptop speaker sounds way better now. I would then switch to my either studio monitors or in-ears or whatever I have that I've been mostly mixing with. And I would turn that EQ on and off. And often I would find that it made a nominal difference to the, the nicer speakers, but it made a huge difference um, to my laptop speakers. And so that would kind of determine if I did that, or maybe if I went a little bit too far with my cut, maybe I'd kind of meet in the middle and try and find something that sounded good. But, um, that was an area where that's just where like the low end starts to creep into a laptop or an iPhone speaker. And if you sometimes a narrow notch and just pulling that kind of stuff down will make a world of difference on that and barely affect your, your other speakers. It's a good tip, man. We have a, in our lobby at church, we have a TV out there that has a sound bar on the top of it. <laughs> and so I'll go out there and mix in the lobby because I'm like, you know, probably a good percentage of people are watching on their TV through a sound bar. So might as well see what it sounds like in there. That's genius. Uh, at Hillsong, now I didn't do uh, much with broadcast in my three years I was there. But one thing I, I did see they did that was really smart. Uh, and this was before COVID, obviously. They had, they bought the same TV um, that on the outside area, if you weren't in the service, um, you know, the, on the outside lobby area, they had these TVs mounted and they used the same TV in like the parents cry room and different places around campus. So they purposely bought a whole bunch of these TVs. Um, and they mounted one of them in the broadcast room and, uh, and they could flip to that because that at the time was like their guaranteed audience. Like what well, they're mixing for that particular service may or may not go out online, but it was definitely going to go to that parent's cry room. And there was something about a TV with a sound bar or what's even worse is just a TV mounted to the wall is crazy. How these low mid frequencies will, when something's mounted to a wall can create all these weird artificial sounds um, that are not part of your mix, but it's just the way the TV's vibrating because it's this cheap plastic TV mounted to the wall. <laughs> um, but if that's your audience and you know, everyone's going to be on that TV, it's, it only makes sense to flip to that TV and hear how it sounds and make changes. that are going to guarantee that your audience is going to have a good experience. Yeah, that's true. And you know what? It's really painful for me to even think that most live stream, most of the live stream audience is listening on their phone. Like, <laughs> that's just painful for an audio guy. You're like, why are you listening to that on your phone? <laughs> you, you know what's funny, though? Is that like, well, one, the, the technology has gotten a lot better than it used to be. I've got a, not even the newest one, I've got a 10R. Um, and uh, I'm impressed that they finally 
have it in stereo, which is really nice. And, um, and it's funny, like your ear adapts and like, I'm, I can tell now if a mix is bad from listening to it on my phone, <laughs> um, you know, and obviously you can confirm that on bigger speakers, but like it, you know, you got to go where the audience is, you know, can't, can't expect everybody to have a, you know, million dollar sound system in their room. It's true. Me and my wife have this argument often. She'll be listening to a song or something on her phone. And I'm just like giving her a death stare. I'm like, would you turn that off? Cause that just irritates me. Like if I'm going to watch a live stream, I go to my living room, which has like a Bose <laughs> soundbar and sub and like, I'm going to watch it right here. <laughs> and then I'll pull up the stream on my phone too, just for chatting. But I never mm. listen to it on my phone cause it drives me crazy. And I'm the person that will also go buy a car. Like I have to listen to the sound system in the car before I'll buy it. Cause 100%. it's gotta, it's gotta be. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you know, I'm the 1% of people who actually care about stuff like that. Everybody else will just watch church on their phone and not think anything of it. So you got to mix for them. So that's what these tips are all about. If you do it right, it'll sound good on everything, you know, there you is, go. is the ultimate goal anyway. Yeah. All right, man, before we wrap up, any other pro tips you'd like to share about live stream mixing? Um, so one thing, uh, and this is not specific to a phone, but it'll definitely help in this. Um, just something that I've had a recent conversation with that I think maybe your audience will appreciate is uh, I've been trying to think more about, um, uh, and this has been, ever since I started doing audio, something I've been thinking about that's starting to all of a sudden make sense for me these past few years is understanding how compression limiting and gating works and understanding that from the concept of uh, what does a, uh, like a, a recording of a kick drum actually look like and how do these things affect that? Um, so one thing I've gotten into really recently is a strange addiction is, uh, is analog synthesizers. And so you, you create these sounds using what's called ADSR attack, decay, sustain release. And so now that I'm creating it, I'm thinking about it more and I'm like, okay, we're trying to make something sound in general, loud, punchy, but not distort. And, um, how do we do that in a digital environment with someone listening to it on an iPhone? Um, so when you think about someone smacking a snare drum, what's actually happening is there's this immediate boost in sound that's called the transient. That's our attack. It's very immediate attack. It then kind of drops down and sustains out for a little bit. That's what our ear mostly hears is that, that resulting tone right after the, the smack. And then it fades out. So attack, decay, sustain, which is what we hear, and then the release. Okay. When we're trying to make that sound full on our recordings, um, you have to think about how the human ear and how analog gear handled that initial transient, that big spike in audio that our ear kind of kind of naturally compresses. It doesn't really bother us necessarily that much unless you're right there on it. Um, but when you're mixing in a digital medium, which most of us are these days, that transient is more um, preserved than it was in the real world with your ears or old school with analog equipment. And so it's eating up all of our headroom, you know. And so I've been thinking about ways to uh, 
control that in a way that sounds natural and then gives us more room in our mix to boost things up so that they can become apparent. Um, so my, my go-to trick lately has been um, if I have a DBX 160 available, I've been loving that for individual drums, but I've also been pushing my entire drum bus through that doing parallel compression. So I've been just doing real basic starting at 50% dropping the threshold back to where it's compressing about 6 dB um, or sorry, about 10 dB and then boosting the output 6 dB. Um, so when you put all that together, you end up with a really punchy drum, but you're, you're still accenting that transient. And that's really our big problem here. Um, so I've then been putting a limiter on and just getting it down to where you're seeing on the meter that it's reducing 3 dB, maybe as much as 6 dB. Once you get around 6 or higher is where you'll actually start hearing it in a bad way. But I find that I can start pulling this limiter down, chopping off that transient in a natural way like what the human ear does. And I can't hear the difference at all when I'm, when I'm doing it. But I can see that my peak is way lower than it used to be. And by having the peak lower... That means I've got more room to boost the entire drum or other things around the drum in the mix. And I'm able to get a little bit more volume to squeeze out of a small speaker like an iPhone or even a big speaker um, because I'm not eating up all that headroom with the transient. So again, one of those things where you're, you're doing it and then you're turning it on and off is it actually negatively affecting my sound when it's on. If so, then don't do it. But if not, well, then why not? You just created more headroom for yourself, and now you have room to, to do other mixing tricks. So um, that's been something I've been playing around with a lot lately. And in, in, in all the broadcast scenarios I've done at churches since the pandemic, um, that has done a surprisingly good job <laughs> um, at making the drums come through and sound strong uh, in even an iPhone. Man, that's a good tip. Sounds like you're well on your way to the recording studio. <laughs> yeah, they're basically <laughs> the same thing at this point. Yeah, I know, right? I never even thought really much about broadcast mix prior to COVID because we didn't even live stream our services prior to COVID at my church. But, you know, then we all had to and you have to learn a whole new set of skills when it comes to that. It's so funny, like, like right up until COVID, it was not hard. Most of the blogs you could find online would explicitly tell churches, do not live stream especially not your music. They would say, if anything, stream your, your pastor because you can control a microphone and maybe some room mics, um, you know, pretty easily, but it is hard to get a good band mix online. Um, we're, <laughs> we're very lucky that we are going through this in a time when technology, um, allows us to have X32s and Allen Heath consoles and like all these, you know, consoles that were incredibly expensive, a decade ago are now available and we have the ability to make a broadcast quality mix, you know, with a $2,000 console. That's crazy. Um, in a good way. Thank God for that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think that we all hated the shove into broadcast mixing last year, but now we're looking back, you know, and it's just like, you know, I'm kind of glad that I'm gaining this skill now. It, it's been really encouraging. Um, like, I can tell that the wheels are turning just on like the, the questions that people are asking on uh, like church sound forums. Like they're asking really in depth, like, 
questions that would have never even crossed their mind before because they were just listening to the room and just kind of doing base level. I mean, nothing's wrong with this, but like they were just pushing faders. And now they're like actively listening to like speakers in a controlled environment. And they actually know what's happening with that kick drum. Whereas before it was just the thing that was always too loud in the room. And, um, and so like, it's amazing how well the church has adapted to this overall. Uh, on the other end of the spectrum, um, I was really encouraged by this one church who, by all objective matters, their stream was horrible. It was an iPad mounted on the back wall using the iPad's camera and the iPad's microphone getting the stream. And it was horrible. And my first thought it was people are going to roast them online. And um, I was so encouraged. I went to look at their comment section and it was people from the church and they were like, guys, it sounds so good. Thank you for making this available online. It was the most encouraging comments that I don't know if your YouTube channel gets a bunch of negative comments, but every once in a while I get someone who can't stand free content and wants to try and knock me down a peg. Um, and so I was just so encouraged to see that this church was getting like good reviews. And, you know, I mean, like it, the the word of God was being spoken. That's the most important thing. Um, and so that was really encouraging to see that, you know, they weren't getting uh, roasted online. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. So everybody listening right now, be encouraged. We all start somewhere. If you're starting with the iPad at the back of the room, hey, that's a great first step. At least you're online and people can see it. And then just take it one step at a time moving forward. You don't have to get all this stuff, you know, pulled together at once. That's I always that's why I always encourage people in collaborate worship like one step at a time. Otherwise, you just get overwhelmed and think you'll never get to where you want to go. Were you like this the first few weeks? Everyone was really like like nervous about the mix and everything online because it was the first time that you had content, you know, for uh, your church online. So it's kind of like kids and birthday parties, like you know birthdays and Christmas are like such a big deal until one day you're 30 and you're like, I've had 30 of these already. I don't care anymore. And so I think like uh, the churches I work with, it's great because we're finally over that hump and like, they're not taking things too seriously anymore, you know, and like, Oh, if we messed up, learn from it, but we get to do it all over again next week. And um, talking about like this being like a recording studio, I mean, you know, I take recording mixes really seriously and, and you should. Um, but it's great. Like I get to practice with a full band, you know, with good gear, good mics and everything every week. And so like I'm, I'm seeing my skill level go up and I'm seeing the skill level of others go up because there's just so much content to work with. Like it's pretty amazing. Yep. That is awesome. It's not about perfection at all or never making mistakes. It's just about, are you learning you know, as we move forward. As long as you're getting better and better each week, that's all that you really need to do. Yep. Agreed. Well, Chad, man, this has been so good. Thanks for your time today. Uh, before we get off here, what's the best way that people can connect with you? Um, probably the simplest way is to go to ascensiontechtuesday.com. Um, that takes you to our YouTube page and you can look at any video in the, um, in the details of the video. It's got my email address. So if you, have an X32 question. Um, I'm pretty good at responding to those. And um, there's over a hundred free videos on there now. So um, between that page and your page, if you got a question, someone's got a video that will, that'll answer it for it already. <laughs> yep. 
you'll find them on YouTube. So even if you forget that link, just I think if you go to YouTube and type in Tech Tuesday into the search bar, you're going to find Chad. Thanks for putting all that work into the YouTube channel because I know how much work that is to put those videos out there. <laughs> yeah. And so y'all don't miss this opportunity to connect with Chad. And as always, thanks for being with us. We need your help to get this podcast out to everybody who needs it. So please leave us a rating and a review on whatever platform you're using. And don't forget to subscribe so we can let you know when the next episode comes out. So go implement what you learned in this podcast and we'll catch you next time.